This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring any instant at all, is Lyle Fulton, and I'm joined, as I'm sure I always will be, by the absolutely brilliant Jackie Balls. Jackie, slightly different time this week because I'm off pretending to be a tree, actoring somewhere else pretending to be a tree what are you really doing okay right so there's a backstory behind the pretending to be a tree right my dad basically accuses my increasingly sort of like one part of my increasingly diverse set of jobs as pretending to be a tree that's what he's always said when I went off to drama school when I got my first acting job straight out of drama school he says oh you're off pretending to be a tree take up with Scott and just say to him acting (laughs) is much more than pretending to be a tree Scott there is an extraordinary example though of someone who I know was a tree in a show and he ended up going on to do massive things he got spotted by an agent while he was being a tree but no I'm not pretending to be a tree I am in fact pretending to be a Swiss French research entomologist by the name of Omri in Lucy Kirkwood's play Mosquitoes, which is on at Chichester Festival Theatre, so the Minerva Theatre next week. If you're in Chichester, by the time this goes out, I think we'll have two shows left by the time this podcast goes out. Come on down. Yeah, it'd be great to see you. It's a great, great show. How do you do a Swiss French accent then? Do you want me to do it now? Yeah, go on. Goodness me, you put me on the spot here. Here we go. This is like this is a, a podcast first. This, by the way, listeners, our 70th episode. So maybe this is a 70th episode, a little treat for our listeners. What's one of my lines? I say, Hello, welcome to Geneva. You must be Alice's sister, I think. There you go. You see? It's very Hercule Poirot, but kind of a Swiss, a Swiss kind of, you know, there's a little bit of this. And I'm kind of a bit of a boy toy in it. Come on in your voice, though. There you go. It's, it's, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. Um, so, yeah, so I have to do that. The irony is, the irony yeah. is, I'm going to try and find a segue here somewhere. No, I was going to say, you are now searching for a segue. I can see it. I've got it's- absolutely no idea how I'm going to make this work. But the irony is, is that when I first got the call to play this part, to be a part of this production, because it's with this theatre company that I work with quite quite a lot over the last year and a half or so, did Romeo and Juliet and Portis being earnest, it's on that stream, et cetera, et cetera, at the Open Air Theatre in St. Albans. They've been very, very good to me, and I'm very, very grateful. But when I got the email through, they'd done an R&D of the show, and then somebody couldn't then do the main show. They had another job. So there was a bit of a reshuffle, a bit topical, given what's happened recently as well, but that's not what this podcast is about, listeners. Uh, they did a bit of a reshuffle, and I was asked if I'd play Henri. The problem is, is that I think there was lots going on at the time. When I got the email through, I read it as Henry. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to play Henry. Brilliant. Can't wait. Yeah, I'll just play Henry like me, you know, kind of this sort of English gentleman kind of thing. And then sort of start to read the script and it starts to become very, very clear, very, very early on. that not only is this set in Switzerland, but that I am playing a Swiss French individual. And I was like, don't have that in my locker at all. So then there was lots of, you know, you know, what I'm like, listeners, I'll just go to sports people I know who are Swiss. And kind of look for Swiss French sports people. Who's the Swiss sports person that you went to? Is it Roger Federer? Federer, I looked at, but he's more kind of down the Swiss German kind of route, kind of accented wise. Some listeners may be aware of somebody called Roman Grosjean, who's an F1 driver. Yeah. Uh, Philippe Senderos used to play for Arsenal. He was a Swiss, he's a Swiss French person. And then, yeah, I know. And I, he, there's not a lot of interviews with him because, and sorry, Philippe, he wasn't awesome. really that good. Um, so he didn't get interviewed an awful lot. But Roman Grosjean, I think famously, 
is the one who rose from the flames. He had that extraordinary crash. And so there's lots of interviews with him, which is great. And obviously it was really interesting to listen to him anyway, but also just to kind of hear for his accent. So yeah, we are at the slightly more unusual time of Thursday morning as we record listeners, because I'm off to rehearse this afternoon before we head off to Chichester. And obviously time being what it is, retrospectively now, that will make no difference whatsoever. Exactly. But here's the segue. I've got it. (laughs) Go on, go, 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 go. But what wasn't rehearsed? Yes, yes, love it. Very, very good what indeed. What was yours? Mine was going to be things I wasn't ready for, or things people <laughs> weren't ready for. I wasn't ready that it was going to be a Swiss person I had to play, and I imagine this individual wasn't ready for his dismissal, exit. his exit, and the company that dismissed this person was certainly not ready for the backlash they experienced. I think your segue is better. We that's very kind. I think we both yeah. done well there, but no, no, yours is more. It has more depth, ability, <laughs> and it applies to both. It applies to both. There you go. It's kind of it's kind of an organic thing. We're of course talking about what happened this week, listeners, which is Sam Altman's exit and then reinstatement at OpenAI, the creators of the widely used program ChatGPT, among others. This is an enormous company. Microsoft have invested $13 billion and counting in this company. And Microsoft, as Jackie and I were saying and discussing before we went live, have certainly been a bit of a big winner in this whole episode. But Jackie, I mean, sort of lay the groundwork first before we talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to do a bit of a recall to a previous episode when it comes to talking about Sam Altman's exit and ultimate reinstatement at OpenAI. But kind of just lay the groundwork of what actually happened, really, because it's been an extraordinary week for that business. It has. And and I'm not going to go into the background of the whys and the wherefores of why all this happened, but the facts. And the facts were that Sam Altman was one of the founders of OpenAI. He was obviously a leader and he was on the board and he was exited from the board because of his communications or lack thereof of consistent communications. So that's one point. Communications has led to his his sacking. So we'll leave that for the moment because that's what they said. What I want to sort of talk to you about, Lyle, today is what I call a kind of great example of leadership, which we've discussed in previous podcasts, and also of the sort of impact of communications again. And I want to sort of directly compare that with Unity, which is another big tech company, which we've discussed before in in the podcast, and their ex-leader, John Ricciatiello, which I always probably pronounce improperly, but let's just call him JR. We've gone with JR in the past, haven't we? Yeah, go with JR. For the rest of the podcast. But the interesting thing to me is how all this played out and where communications was so important within this whole scenario And leadership was so important as well. And how leadership and communications go hand in hand. Because in the first instance, that's what he was fired for. Mm. His his bad, his inconsistent communications. And it's something that, you know, I constantly talk about and rant about with leaders not putting communications at the top of their list of things that they need to, to do well and have the right experts around them to advise them. 
And if you look at another great, great company in tech that is its stock price going through the roof at the moment, doing really well, a company called Atlovin, their communications, their marketing, their CMO is possibly the best CMO I've ever worked with mm. in my entire career. Katie is a genius. Mm. So, you know, that is a company that's done very well to put a lot of its um, faith, support, investment into its communications. And you can see the result of that in its stock price and in the way the company is run and everything else. And our lovely friend, Eric Kress, who has been on this podcast with us before, Mm. always says that ad techs are are not good bets from a stock perspective, but they're doing well. And I think that's that's down to communication. So let's get back to what we're going to call this what we're going to call this podcast is Control, <laughs> Altman, Delete. Which I absolutely love, by the way. It's what a great headline. Brilliant. And I have to give kudos to The Register for that and mm. Ian Thompson, who wrote the article in The Register um, about this. And I just thought that was an inspired um, title. Um, but moving back to this, um, so Sam uh, Altman was exited his co-founder followed him and said "Uh -uh, i ain't hanging around if my buddy's going so they both went Mm -hmm. and very very rapidly which i just think is a beautiful thing and i don't know quite how they did this but very rapidly sam was hired by microsoft to be their head of ai moving forward the global head of ai yeah and Greg Brockman as well, the guy who left. They 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 were they were hired to kind of basically lead a, a research team. But it was your spot on. It was basically as good as being the global head of AI for Microsoft. But I don't think they didn't want to go too big too early with like kind of titles and monikers. So they said, "Oh, we're hiring them both to head up a research team about AI here in Microsoft." It's like, well, I don't know how many of those you currently have, Microsoft. So that's basically called a spade a spade. He's basically your head of AI globally. So yeah. So- this is the really interesting thing for me I was just like how did they do that so quickly you know there must have been some machinations in the background because big you know senior people do not get hired quickly it just doesn't no. happen the lawyers get round tables and they're yeah. all out different things I don't know for me it was just incredibly smooth and, inc- and and announced straight away and I just again if you look at the machinations of large companies hiring then agreeing on an announcement and then getting the announcement yeah. out there and thinking about all your stakeholders and your shareholders, how they did that so quickly beggars belief. So well, especially sure. as they'd initially prepared a, a communique, hadn't they, which went out and kind of flew under the radar a bit because of what we're about to discuss when it comes to OpenAI's reaction and the employees within OpenAI. But I think it was basically Friday he was exited he was told to leave open ai and by saturday morning microsoft had released a statement basically condemning and questioning the decision to get rid of him and then you're so right by monday he, he had a job at microsoft it was like hang on so you spent 24 hours i mean it's almost an example isn't it we'll probably get onto this of how quickly and cleverly microsoft worked because they basically just had everything so super quickly on hand it's it was extraordinary up communication excellence i mean yeah. we can often call out great communications but this was insanely good and i don't know what went on behind the scenes it must have been that it was top down it had to be top down communications 
because you cannot get things out there that quickly without your CEO and your your board and everything else being absolutely on it, supportive, signed off, thought through. How does this affect all our stakeholders? Has to be top down. So amazing for me watching as a, just an observer going, how did they do that? How did they manage to get all of these constituent groups thought about or the impact thought down the line or the decision trees that you make on something that's as big as this, but no, they went straight at it. They just handled the situation and they communicated it. They communicated it really, really quickly. So everybody knew what was going on. And this was yeah. then like watching a corporate tennis match. Ba-ching, 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 yeah. ba-ching. It was insane. <laughs> and now today what's happened is we've got them back. Well, yeah, this was their company and possibly stronger, more influential than they've ever been before. Well, it tells you, doesn't it? It really does tell you. It's extraordinary. And, it's, and I think you made a really, really good point earlier about kind of comparing leadership examples and comparing leadership situations because again in the fullness of time what then happened is it was announced by Microsoft that Greg Brockman alongside Sam Altman but Sam Altman being the key figure was going to head up this research team this AI research team at Microsoft basically becoming their head of research at Microsoft and before long OpenAI's 800 strong employee base more or less to a man and woman all signed a letter being like we may all quit and join Microsoft as well if you don't reinstate Sam Altman and sort of sh- do a bit of a shake up of the board because this isn't right. And it all kind of stemmed a little bit. The, the quote is that Sam Altman, as you rightly point out, was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, which I joked with you before we went live, was ironic, given that I don't think there's anything particularly consistently candid about that statement either from OpenAI's <laughs> incumbent board. And that has obviously been realized as a thing. But they all threatened to quit and they clearly seen, and again, very, very clever from Microsoft. They clearly seen that there was a, there was a route through. Like if I work for OpenAI, this extraordinary company, this innovative company, and I decide to quit over this, Microsoft are clearly on the side of why did you allow Sam Altman to leave OpenAI? I can just go and get a job at Microsoft and Microsoft are the winners, aren't they? Because they've already invested billions of dollars in OpenAI. They can then turn around and go, right, we're not going to invest any more money in OpenAI. We're just going to absorb OpenAI's kind of IP base through their employees, just leaving your company and just coming to join Microsoft. And we don't have to invest in money. We basically become open AI. I mean, I don't know kind of the semantics of that. But the next generation of. Yeah, exactly. And what ultimately happens then is these signatures combined with Microsoft's condemnation of Sam Altman being told to leave, basically, politely or otherwise, meant that they had two interim CEOs at OpenAI. One was there for 36 hours and then decided this is a bit too heavy for me. Someone else came in immediately afterwards and they were there for 36 hours, even though I'm sure they were probably planning on being there slightly longer. Government and our PMs. Exactly right. Foreign secretaries (laughs) sort of, you know, in and out and yo-yoing in and out and cleverly home secretary, but he doesn't. But I mean, don't get me started on that mess. I mean, it's all a bit of a mess, isn't it? Isn't it at the moment? But it also also stemmed, and there's a really interesting point here from something I was reading before we went live this morning. There was board concern that Altman himself wasn't aware enough or openly, pun intended, aware enough of the potential harms of how sophisticated their technology was becoming. And this is obviously a wider conversation for a different podcast, this whole idea that chat GPT could like replace certain industries or whatever, and the 
technology is becoming so powerful that it can do things that make things potentially undetectable and what have you. And it kind of led me to start to think, and again, this is a conversation with another podcast, that his leadership and his determination to push the envelope when it comes to AI and when it comes to the innovation within AI and this particular technology held more sway with his 800 plus employees than the, whoa, let's pump the brakes a second and just the, the rest of the board had. And what has ultimately happened is, is that he has been, re- well, he is going to be reinstated. There is an agreement in principle, which I love because it's a very widely used football piece of terminology when it comes to transfer business. We've got an agreement in principle with Brighton to make Graham Potter our new manager, et cetera, et cetera, Chelsea. There's an agreement in principle for Sam Altman to become the CEO again. He's going to come back and the board's going to get shaken up and one or two people are going to leave. I think Greg Brockman is going to come back as well. They've said he can come back as well. And you're so right. And I'm going to ask you this question. The parallels or lack of with JR's exit from Unity and the fact that he really didn't want to go seemingly. And then when the opinion just got really heavy, quite rightly, because of some of the things he'd done, he was like, well, yeah, I better go. But it was like kind of more or less on his own terms. And then you've got Altman, who it was not on his own terms whatsoever. But the strength of his leadership meant that there was absolutely no way they were going to stay if he didn't come back. I mean, it's extraordinary, isn't he, the differences? Well, you know, this is and this for me comes down to comms basically and how you get the job done and if you look at the track records of these two CEOs two very powerful men let's look at JR now there is no doubt in my mind that JR was a brilliant brilliant CEO he Mm. was really really good he had an amazing track record the only thing that let that guy down and I think it's actually shameful and pitiful for him by the stage that he got to to just not realise that his legacy would be all of this chit-chat that we're doing about how he got it so wrong at Unity because of his communications. Up until the point that he was at Unity, this guy's background was stellar. You know, he was on a trajectory. He was great. And he actually, a lot of the stuff that he needed to do at Unity was spot on. You know, nobody is is denying that Unity needed to change its business model within the, the it, within its um, platform to make some money. It needs to make money. It has to make money, and it's a leader. And why shouldn't it make money? It's it's great. It's a great piece of software. But Jr. as the leader, just ham fisted communications changed the perception of the company. You should have seen the backlash that all of the employees were getting as a result of his ham-fisted communications. And then when he retires, <laughs> retires. Extraordinary, like, isn't it? It's just so retires, good. Is anybody going to go, no, John, don't go? No, everyone's just like, phew. Yeah. Brilliant. Hopefully we'll get somebody else on t- to lead the ship to turn the perception around. Yeah. That's really, really sad. No, you skip over to another CEO in the news, Sam Altman, and it's a completely different picture. This guy is an absolute dream when it comes to communications. Mm. He's a brilliant figurehead for AI, generative AI. He's led the charge 
He knows more about it than anyone else. You know, Elon, sorry, step aside. You know, you you might well come and talk about your AI robots and how they're going to become like humans and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sam Altman is the guy. That's it. So if you want to know what AI is all about, this is the man. And the irony of his being sacked for less than candid communications to the board, it's, and then that obviously everybody's thinking, well, that's nonsense. Yeah. And then you see that leadership come through in terms of how the, the employees have reacted to what the board said. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. And you're so right. And also, let's call it how it is as well. I mean, it might be a very, very clever piece of comms work from Microsoft to go. Oh, we can Let's move on to the comms. Uh, yeah. But we can we condemn the fact that Altman's been allowed to leave OpenAI and then within 48 hours, Sam, Greg, you can come and work in a research team here at Microsoft. That's fair enough. And from a communications perspective, it's a you know, stroke of genius from Microsoft. But by the same token as well, on the same level as what they've done from a comms perspective, they've clearly also hired Sam Altman and Greg Brockman because they're unbelievable at what they do. Like Microsoft aren't in the business of just hiring people to make it look good, That's I don't think. You know, it, it, they, they've also hired people. And so you're absolutely right. It's It's quintessentially brilliant leadership as an example, in the form of Sam Altman, because A, you've got someone who's a great, a bit of a rock star in the AI world when it comes to communications and a great figurehead. But these 800 plus employees also probably felt, look, we're losing a real asset professionally. Like this guy's also unbelievable at what he does. Like he- they, it, Leader. What, he it, what, the leader yeah. in the AI in the world. What on earth were they thinking on that board? I, I, I just can't- I can't get my head around it. And the fact that it then becomes news, and this is the thing, it becomes news. You know, FT, all this sort of stuff, you know, publications that I adore, you know, corporate, you know, journalists, corporate publications, fair enough. Things like this become news, you know, if CEO leaves a particular business. But this was a BBC news notification on my phone. Everyone, regardless of whether or not you're up to date on, yeah, I know, and we could talk about mainstream and BBC, all this sort of stuff, but everyone more or less, regardless of whether or not you're up to date on the rest of the corporate world, everyone has had some sort of interaction, I'm imagining, recently with ChatGPT, you know, depending on sort of, you know, your demographic and what have you. But ChatGPT, OpenAI, it's, it's more or less everywhere at the minute. This kind of like AI, this generative content. And so it became, it, it was mainstream news. And the fact that they didn't know that this was going to happen, seemingly, and they weren't prepared for the backlash that was going to happen, and Microsoft clearly were, Microsoft, and maybe you're so right about the top-down element of this. Maybe Microsoft were like, I'm hearing from this company we've invested billions of dollars in that all is not well at board level. A big change might be about to happen. Let's get ourselves ready. And they were so they, prepared. They must have planned for it. They yeah. must have had a heads up beforehand. And I think a lot of it is when the money men come in to, to ruin the setup. You know, with OpenAI, it must have been, I mean, I heard and I I. I I don't know if this is true, but I heard really what happened was that he upset one of the board members because one of the announcements he made effectively made that board member's company defunct. Mm. Um, and that's where all the the upset came from. I don't know if that's true. Mm. But irrespective of whether it's true or not, I, that, you know, the fact that OpenAI has grown and grown and grown and continues to grow, of course, then all the money men pile in and they yeah. become part of the board and then all they look at is the spreadsheets is the figures yeah. is, and this is where i think they've gone horribly wrong they've just been driven by 
money and they don't and this again it comes down to this core of the fact that at sea level at board level the power of communications is often too often overlooked Mm. and they just didn't see it coming. They didn't think it through. They didn't think yeah. how they would communicate this. They didn't think what would the optics look like. They don't think about that stuff. They just think about share prices or investors or whether you know the money men. And money is honestly the root of all evil. Yeah. It really, really is. Oh yeah, it Especially really is. Board level. Well, this because, is it. Yeah, because they don't see that the softer stuff, the way we say things, mm. how we deal with the perception of our stakeholders is actually the most powerful stuff Mm. does my head in that pr is at the bottom of all of their bloody agendas Mm. when it should be right at the top because time and time and time again we see examples like this madness we just don't get it and it's the first thing that gets cut when you know when when industry when everything gets a bit tight oh what does PR do? You can't measure it, so let's just cut it. You know, kind men thinking of yeah. oh, sorry, but it's just no, no, you're right. No, 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 you're absolutely right. Insane. And you've got two examples here, right? By the way, you've got two extraordinary examples. So, I mean, again, I read this morning that it's kind of becoming, I mean, the question, the sort of open-ended question was, what does this mean for AI? And it kind of is now going to be used, I imagine, as a case study of I've read a term being called like, you know, they're so-called like doomers who kind of believe that it's all moving a bit too quickly, as I've alluded to earlier in the episode, and then the people, the Sam Altmans and his employees of this world, who believe it's going to make these kind of life-saving, life-changing advancements and enhancements when it comes to the technology moving as quickly as it is, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of the PR kind of take. In the fullness of time, the take will be that Sam Altman and his employees who've remained and the new three-person board that only has one of the previous members on it and the person you mentioned again it's a speculation but the person you mentioned has left the board one or two others have left the board and they're seen as being on the kind of the doomsday side of the argument and the people who have remained or the new members of the board are seen as the kind of the forward say forward thinking that makes it sound like the more positive side of the argument i don't mean that i'm going to appropriately sit on the fence but the people who are on the board now are the more kind of right let's keep the pace going and let's keep these this these advancements up that's besides the point. The PR angle will be, you know, the board now is pro kind of moving AI forward, blah, blah, blah. You've got two examples here of companies, in my opinion, who like one's been there, done it and got the T-shirt when it comes to PR ups and downs. And one is, you know, by all accounts, very, very new still. It seems like OpenAI has been around forever because it does seem a little bit to some people like AI has been around forever, even though it's still relatively, you know, in the fullness of, you know, in the quantum. Well, AI has um, been around yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, part of AI is the is that's is it the next, is the next step. And let, again, this is another thing. Mm. Anybody I know who works in generative AI, I don't, but I communicate a lot. I, I work on the communications for a lot of these innovations. Mm. Anybody that I know who's at the coal face, I talked to a guy who works for one of my clients who is a PhD in this stuff. I mean, he is like at the top of his game and mm. and much lauded in the industry. Even he says all of this doom and gloom. Yes, of course. You know, you can look down. You can look down the line, and you can see your Star Trek or Matrix type things or whatever mm. in terms of innovation. But right now, AI is only as good as the data on which it's built. Mm. 
the the data points that it interrogates and how it comes to its and and how it comes to its decisions there is a lot of human checking that has to be done on this stuff there is a lot of of human input and again it is the tool that we work with and and you you probably don't remember this but when the internet first started coming to the public after years in academia and in military and everything else everybody else was like oh it's gonna kill us yeah. you know we're gonna be the, we, we're gonna be prey to the machines we yeah. you know don't put your credit card on the internet the internet's a devil and look at where we are now yeah. the internet actually helped us through a global pandemic yeah you know, very much so, while I do applaud those people looking to the future and looking at how we harness technology and use technology in the best way and hopefully learn the lessons of some of the bad sides of the internet, like dark yeah. web and all those things, which do exist. Yeah. So we are supposed to, to try and put in those checks and balances. But all these doomers, these naysayers, you know, get with the program. This is happening. And, you know, you either you either sort of stand by and go, oh, see, prove prove me right. You know, yeah. that's another thing. All these doom mongers, it's very easy for them to sit back and criticize and say, oh, this is going to go horribly wrong. And then when it doesn't, it's a nice surprise. Oh, well, I was just worried. But if it does go wrong, see, told you, you know, yeah. they're, they're not going to lose out in any way. It's all of you know, hedging their bets, quite literally hedging their bets. But it's interesting. You, you mentioned a phrase there, which I think is really, really good. And I think I think like closing on this point and kind of like, you know, really kind of sitting on this point when it comes to kind of Microsoft's part in this whole kind of last five or six days, which I think we should kind of finish on is learning your lessons. You use that phrase, learning your lessons. And where I was going with it was Microsoft have had their fair share of maybe not being prepared. And, you know, I haven't done my in-depth research on this before this podcast went live, but you could go back and in the fullness of time, you could find examples where something has happened. Maybe they've released an update for their software, or maybe they've released a new product and it's, you know, been underprepared or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And they've had bad PR experiences, right? They've kind of, they now as a very, very experienced company, you know, the arguably at the highest level of business, the most experienced company on planet earth, if you think about it, because, you know, Microsoft preceded the likes of Google, the likes of Apple, the likes of Alphabet, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Microsoft have been there for decades. You know, we're talking like half a century almost, you know, closing in on, and they've learned their lessons. And a big lesson I think they've learned, which speaks to your point is, they're putting PR way up there now. When it comes to Microsoft's agenda, they now know the value of PR because they've been there, they've done it, they've got the T-shirt. Skip across to OpenAI. Everything's been moving at the speed of light with OpenAI. Things have been moving, you know, kind of at the, at the speed of thought almost. Like we, if we can think that we can do it and then we do it and then it's out there, bang. And so theirs is product output, sensibility. What are our consumers thinking? Blah, 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 which in, in and of itself is PR. But they've got marketing. How do we get it places? How do we put it there? You know, what's our next innovation? Blah, 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 blah. And they they didn't focus. They didn't focus on PR. They haven't. It's never been top of their agenda. You can be damn sure now, given the backlash they faced. I mean, maybe this is a question. Maybe this isn't a statement. I mean, do you think they are now sure? Do you think they're going to learn their lessons from this? Or do you think companies <laughs> like OpenAI are, are never really going to put it first and foremost in, in what they do? I don't think this will be our. I don't think our conversation will be the top of their list of considerations for sure. Mm. And I don't. And I don't think. I don't think if they see from their peers not taking these things very seriously, it's it's really interesting because we, you know, we spend a lot of our time, Lyle, looking at things and 
criticizing them and breaking them down and building them back up again. But, you know, that isn't their modus operandi. And we don't spend enough time actually calling people out for doing a job very well. And this yeah. is one of those times when you say you look at Microsoft and you look at how they handled this situation and how slick their comms were. But what you don't see is the net result of that. And the net result of that is everyone's like, oh, Microsoft, smart. Yeah. You know, everybody's like the perception, which you can't quantify, you can't mm. measure, but the perception, the general perception of how this vast, vast corporation has handled one situation and you know we all we often forget that you know the ceo of microsoft has a hundred million things to think about and a hundred million different moving parts to have over oversight of yes for them to do this so well is for me very significant and i wish i really wish there was a way that we could sort of like get that bubble of positivity towards a corporation measured someday somebody will come up with some ai powered metric i am sure i can't it's beyond me no, yeah. But, um, but yeah so no i don't in in, in an answer to your question i no i don't think yet that the c-suite of any large corporation has yet barring a few that we've just mentioned is putting comms at uh, the heart of their decision making no well i mean it harks back to just to finish this episode off listeners it harks back to a conversation we had with amanda last week you know when we kind of asked her the question about you know kind of where does pr and i'm really pleased we are kind of getting onto this increasingly in the last couple of episodes we've had with you know the likes of laura west as well who was fantastic and and obviously amanda more recently this idea of you know the c-suite not responding to what's going on before their very eyes you know the importance of pr you know increasingly now and obviously we're bound to say this we both work in pr that's what people will say they'll go oh they're bound to say they're both pr professionals you know jackie runs an agency lyle works in pr lyle's an actor as well and pr is a huge part of the acting industry etc etc yeah okay fine you can level that at us if you want but it's happening in real time the world now exists on a storytelling basis what does good look like what does bad look like you know David Cameron, we're going to go into this just very, very briefly. David Cameron has been announced as the new foreign secretary of the United Kingdom. Conservative, you know, enthusiasts will turn around and go, oh, this is great. You know, he's great at diplomacy. That was the one thing he was really, really good at. Those who aren't conservative enthusiasts, and I won't reveal my particular alignment, but I'm sure people having listened to the podcast can guess what my alignment is, will say, well, you you kind of campaigned on a new direction and nothing says new like employing someone who was prime minister 13 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. What does good look like? To some, good does not look like hiring someone from the past. Good looks like hiring someone progressive and new. Increasingly, the world at every level is about storytelling and what good looks like and what bad looks like. And yet we don't have within C-suites of these major businesses what I'm going to effectively now term C-pros. Chief sure. PR officers, <laughs> chief PR officers, C pros. You got CEOs, you got CFOs, you got CMOs, C pros, C PR officers. It doesn't exist. It's a thing that just does not exist. And yet, you would argue that had OpenAI had a C pro, they might have gone, look, if this is the direction we want to go, and if this is the route you want to take with Sam Altman, let's find a way of doing it that's not just he's gone, right? 
And also you've got this in this company, this juggernaut of a company, arguably the juggernaut, as I've just said, this juggernaut of a company has invested billions, I'm talking billions of dollars, basically runs the roost, if we're being honest. The output's coming from you within your business. But I'm imagining not an awful lot is done other than this Sam Altman exit that Microsoft don't know about. And we could argue that they probably did know about it, which is why they've responded the way they've done. You know, you'd need someone there. You know, you surely want someone there. And it just, I think you can probably hear listeners in both Jackie and I's voices. Like it just drives us absolutely mad because we, you know, don't get me wrong. When Jackie messaged me yesterday and said, should we do one on OpenAI? I went, brilliant, because it's an absolute mess and we can talk ourselves to death about it. And that's what we want to do with podcasts. We love it when these things happen from a purely podcast perspective, but from a kind of integrity working within the PR industry perspective, Jackie's absolutely right in what we said in this episode, listeners. I'd love to come on the podcast and talk for 45 minutes about a really good example of communications and how it's been done properly. And yet we seemingly, 90% of the time, go, what an absolute nightmare they've had at not understanding the story they're trying to tell and not understanding what good looks like, what bad looks like. My dad always used to say. said that we're in a storytelling world. Because that narrative really goes into my perception of, communications into the into the 2030s mm. you know with all of the different tools with the we're awash with content messaging is becoming so much more Rachel. important storytelling is more important and perception is more important and the cream rises to the top you're spot on. you're spot on because in a world where you know we now have twitter well what is now x but formerly twitter doing a kind of a community guideline thing on certain posts. If certain posts go up and they are factually incorrect, X's community guidelines will come in and go, actually, this is wrong. And it can be from the totally ridiculous, like Paris Hilton the other day said that she invented the selfie and X's community guideline. People came in and went, well, actually, you know, the selfie as a word was not invented by Paris Hilton. And actually taking a photo of yourself has existed since like the 1700s or something. It can be from that sort of thing to fact-checking Trump, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? Like fact-checking political you know, individuals, right? You're so right though. The cream rises to the top is an excellent phrase, which is in a world where there are now so many different versions of the facts, the better you tell the story with the facts at the heart of it, the more likely people are to listen to that story. And the more likely people people are to get the facts from that medium than from other people. And it's about gripping people, but in the right way. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it, listeners. So OpenAI, as we bring this episode to a close, if you want to see pro, Lyle Fulton's your man, right? I'm available, right? <laughs> I'm very, very available, right? I, I think I'd be great on that board, right? I think me and Sam would get on great. I'm a very forward-thinking guy, and I'd love it. I'd love to be part of OpenAI's board. And Jackie, I'm sure, would be the same. We 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 would do we would do some great things. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. We'd do some great things. I promise we're not as uh, as inflammatory at board level as we are on the podcast. But thank you so much, listeners, for joining us for the latest episode of The Rest is PR. We're delighted you could join us. And we hope that there are more episodes like this in the coming weeks where we can actually talk about good news stories, you know, sort of positive PR examples. We hope that's the case. But if you would like to get in touch with a topic that you would like us to discuss, good or bad, then you can do so. Email us at info at therestispr.com or info at demoza.com. We'll respond to both of those email addresses. Also head to both of those websites and check out everything that's going on with the podcast, therestispr.com and demoza.com for all things demoza. You can also follow us on X. As I've mentioned, I'm getting more and more used to calling it X. Follow us at the rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, 
capital PR. And you can also get in touch with Jackie or myself via LinkedIn. There's been some great stuff on LinkedIn actually recently uh, revolving around the podcast. Laura's been doing some great stuff around the podcast going out. Amanda the same uh, when it comes to her book, PR Confidential. So yeah, definitely check us out on LinkedIn. Jackie, same yes. time next week. What do you reckon? Yeah. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You see, how's that for being candid with our communications? Same time next week? Yeah, brilliant. Spot on. There you go, open AI. Take that. Take that. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on the latest episode of The Rest is PR. But for the time being, from Jackie and myself, take care of yourself. It's bye for now.